if you'd like to look with us this morning, we're in the third chapter of John. Um, got down about halfway through Jesus' discourse with Nicodemus, and we'd like to back up and just, just for a minute get our thoughts together on what we've seen. Jesus has spoke to Nicodemus about a new birth, uh, to be born from above, to be begat from above, a work of God that must take place if you're going to see or enter the kingdom of God. There's no other way for a man or a woman to be saved except they are born again. They are begat from above. There must be a work of God. And it's not of the flesh. It's not of man. It's not of blood. It's not the will of the flesh. This is a work of the Spirit and the Word of God that takes place inside of a man. And so Nicodemus twice, he, he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. And when you think about the religion that Nicodemus was used to, it was by blood. It was that they could trace their lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they were part of the lineage of the, the crowd. It was by the will of the flesh. They willingly brought their sacrifices and they done all these works. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, so... He was one that tried and, and worked to keep the law the best he could. So to hear now that something else must happen in order for a man to enter the kingdom of God, that's blowing his mind. And he's thinking about entering into the mother's womb a second time. And you can hear the mocking there even in that question as Nicodemus would say, are you saying I've got to go back into my mother's womb? But certainly it's not of the flesh. This is a work of God in the heart. And so Jesus gives His credentials. No man's went to heaven, and no man's came down from heaven except for me. So if there's anybody's word that we're going to believe, if there's anybody that we're going to hear, this man Jesus is qualified to speak on the things of God. He's more qualified than the high priest at Jerusalem. He's more qualified than Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel is. He's more qualified than the Sanhedrin, than the Southern Baptist Convention. You know what we ought to go to always, all the time, is the Word of God. When you begin to dabble in man's opinion, you're dabbling in error. But the Word of God is sure, steadfast, certain. And Jesus says 10, 11, and 12, I am He that's come down from heaven. I'm only speaking what I've seen and heard. And He didn't see it and hear it from somebody that somebody's seen and heard. He saw this in the presence of God in eternity past in heaven itself. And so we come uh, to verse 14. And as Moses lifted the serpent up in the wilderness, you remember that reference to the brazen serpent in the wilderness? The people had murmured and complained and whined and fought against God, against Moses and against Aaron, and God sent fiery serpents into the camp, and the people were being bitten and dying there in the wilderness. And they come to Moses and say, Pray to God that we'd be delivered from these. And God tells Moses, Make a fiery serpent, a brazen serpent, put it on a pole and lift it up. And everyone that's bitten, if he'll look there, he'll live. And so Jesus is drawing the analogy. This is a scripture that certainly 
Nicodemus, the master of Israel, would know. And Jesus is saying, this is why that I've come into the world. Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just like Moses lifted that serpent, and everyone that was bitten and looked to it could live, I came that I would be lifted up, lifted up on the cross, and that everyone that would look to me could live. And so Jesus in 15, 16, 17, maybe some of the most well-known verses of the New Testament, Jesus says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So Jesus was not sent to condemn the world. You see, that's how the brazen serpent was. That brazen serpent did not kill anybody. The brazen serpent was put up because people were being killed by the fiery serpents. Jesus' coming didn't bring any condemnation on anybody because man was already condemned by sin. And you say, well, how do you know that man was already... Because man died from Adam all the way to Joseph and Mary and Jesus. Man died. And that is an evidence of the curse of God on the world. Man's sin had him condemned. He was... As you read on, and uh, we're going to read on, we've not got there yet. Man was condemned already before the Lord came. So I believe this is easy to understand. If we went back in time and we just pull the Lord Jesus out of the picture and He never comes, then where does that leave man? Without Jesus, where is man at? Man's still condemned, he's under the law. He's guilty before God and He's under the wrath of God and He's got no way of escaping that. Wouldn't you say that's true? true. Without Jesus, man's in that condition. So Jesus didn't come to condemn. Jesus come to be the Savior. Now notice these, that He should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus' work, a complete and finished work, that will prevent those that are in Him from perishing. They will not perish. But they have eternal life. If something is eternal, then that's, there's no ending to that. And I realize maybe this doctrine's not as prevalent in our world as others are, but there's a people that believe that if you don't do, then you can lose your salvation. I believe this one word, eternal, I believe that will lay that doctrine to the end. He gave eternal life. And if He gave me eternal life in Jesus Christ and I lose it tomorrow, then something was wrong somewhere that was not eternal life. It couldn't have been eternal because it ended. And so Jesus gives eternal life. Notice 16. We went over this pretty good last time. But notice what 16 says. This verse is turned to say a lot of things that's not here. For God so loved the world in this manner or in this way, God loved the world. 
that he gave. Now, notice the word gave. There's no deservedness in gave. He says in Isaiah, you know the Scripture, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is a gift. There's no working it out. This is not a payment because God saw that there was a group of people that was good and better and deserving on all the face of the earth. God sent His Son for those deserving people. That's not, that's not the truth. But God gave as a gift, undeserved, unmerited, and unwarranted was the coming of the Son of God. There's never been one deserved God's mercy or compassion, but all deserved destruction for their sin and their rebellion towards God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So it was God's love that sent the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why did the Lord come? Well, in this verse, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. So God loved the world. God sent His Son. And the Son came that whosoever... Let me read the definition of that one more time. All, any, every, or the whole. So God sent His Son that all that believeth, any that believeth, the whole that believeth, should not perish but be saved. So the Lord came that those who would believe would be saved. It does not tell me that anybody at any time, at any place, can believe and be saved but that Jesus came to die for those that would believe in Him. And it would be those that believe, only those that believe, that are going to be saved by this man's death. Verse 17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So Jesus did not bring condemnation in Luke Jesus says the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So Jesus didn't come to bring judgment on man because judgment was already on man. Jesus didn't come to destroy men's lives because men's lives were already destroyed. Man was already on the road to Hell and the wrath of God. Man was already guilty. So Jesus came for one purpose, to be the Savior of the world. Now does that mean that He saved the world? Is the world saved? No, there's a very small remnant out of the world that's saved. But you know what this means? That if the world is going to be saved, Jesus is the only means. If you put yourself back in the Jewish mindset, it was the Jews that were saved. And to an extent, maybe some Gentiles that would proselytize and do the ceremonies and rites and become a part, that's the only people that, that earned a place in the kingdom of God. But Jesus' death was not just for the Jew. Jesus' death encompassed the whole world. And it's not just the Jew that looks to Him, but it's all of man, all of those from all over the world that look to Him are saved. They have eternal life 
because of the Lord Jesus. In John 5, 45, Jesus says this, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Jesus didn't need to be the uh, prosecuting attorney. Jesus didn't need to bring charges against them. They were already condemned by the law of Moses. And there we find man today. Man is condemned under the law of Moses. Man is inherently from Adam. He's lost. He's sinful. He loves sin. He's rebellious towards God. And he's headed for destruction. And the Lord Jesus is the brazen serpent. He was lifted up on Calvary that all out of the world, all of those that would believe in Him should not perish from their sin but have everlasting life. So verse 18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So this is elementary, I would say, to all of us. If you believe on Him, you're not condemned. Now we read that. We know that to an extent. And yet sometimes in our mind and in our heart, we fall under condemnation, don't we? But listen to a few scriptures. In Romans chapter 8, Verse 33 and 34. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Now you talk about words of affirmation that Paul's writing there if God has justified you in Jesus Christ by His election, by His choice, so God has chosen to take you out of your sin, put you in His Son Jesus Christ, and justify you from your wickedness, then who's going to bring charges against you? If God and Christ, if they are the judges and they have set you free, then how could you ever be condemned again? Who is able to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Can anybody take their justification from them? The judge has already justified them. And it don't matter what kind of screaming that the lawyers do. It don't matter what kind of uproar the people have. You remember the case back in the 90's the man accused of killing his wife. Everybody just knew that he'd done it but he was found not guilty. It didn't matter what anybody said then. He had been justified. He was found not guilty. Well when, when the great judge when God Almighty the Heavenly Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, when they justify someone, then they are not condemned. And so, they that believe not is condemned already. Even now is what that means. 
It's not something that's coming in the future. We're not waiting on this to happen at the end. See, this is, this is the way people's minds think. Well, we're waiting to see whether or not so-and-so believes. And if they die without believing, then they're condemned. No. No, they're condemned right now. Why are they condemned? Because they're outside of the Lord. Who's going to be saved? Those that believe in the Lord. Only those. Everybody else is condemned. So if there's no belief in the Lord, you're outside. You're outside of the ark. And when judgment comes, if we're outside of the ark, we know what happened to the world outside of the ark in Noah's day. And if the Lord Jesus is today's spiritual ark of safety, outside of Him is the judgment of God and there's nothing going to live outside of Him. In Hebrews 2.3, you know these verses very well. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? To be outside of this work of God in Jesus Christ. Is there any other escape? No, see, Jesus is the Savior of the world. So if the Asian or the African or the South American or the European, if they're going to be saved, they're going to come to Jesus. He's the only means that there is in the world to be saved from sin. And to those that are in Jesus, they are not condemned. They will not perish. And they have everlasting life. Not because of anything they've done, but by the work that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to perform. Because He hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So if... Go back to the picture then. If you're bit by a fiery serpent and the brazen serpent is there and you do not look to that and you die, why did you die? Because you didn't look at the means of escape. I realized the fiery serpent was what brought on the death, the venom from the serpent. And you see, that's what's bringing death in man. Man was bit by the serpent in the Garden of Eden and sin flows through his blood. And I recognize sin is the problem. Sin is the cause. But we have a means of escape from sin. And if man perishes today in the age of grace with the Lord Jesus on the cross, suffering for our sins, then you see the problem is because I, it's because I didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's my question then. Why doesn't everybody believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Doesn't that, isn't that a fair question? If sin is such a problem, and if the judgment of God is truly as fearful as we say that it is, and salvation is truly as good as we say that it is, and comes with eternal life. What has man got to lose here? Well, he's going to tell us why man doesn't believe. I mean, when you think about it, that makes no sense, does it? 
Here's the problem. Anthony already talked about it this morning. Verse 19, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So here is the condemnation. So he said before, if you believe not, you're condemned already. What's the problem? Well, here's the condemnation. Lights come into the world. And I I believe the Lord Jesus, the ultimate light of God in the world. But you know, before Jesus, there was law. On Mount Sinai, God came down in a smoke. I would imagine something like a volcano in the presence of those people as the Lord descends on the mountain and gives the law of God to Moses. You know what that was? That was knowledge and understanding of the will of God for man. There were prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Daniel down in Babylon, and God had men that were sending and preaching and proclaiming the Word of God even in the Old Testament. So there was light. You know what the history of mankind shows through the Bible? That God sends light and the majority hate the light. That God sends Elijah and Elijah works all these amazing works and preaches against the sin that's in the kingdom, and everybody hates him. And the same with Elisha. They want to kill these men. Isaiah is hated. History says sawn in half. Jeremiah is hated, thrown in the dungeon. Ezekiel is hated and rejected. It's over and over again, isn't it? What's the problem? Men love darkness rather than light. It's not that there's not a way to know. I'm going to say that the majority of the world are aware of Christianity even in a, a minimal sense. The light has come into the world and magnified so in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the problem is that men had rather have darkness because... They're evil. Man is evil by nature. Man loves evil and sin and corruption and filthiness. The light of God is manifesting the corruption of man. So if I can, I'd like to avoid the light so that the corruption isn't manifested. And man intentionally avoids the light of God that his evil deeds are not manifested. So remember, call back now to the prologue of this gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So as the light of Jesus shines, the darkness is run away. And those that are evil, you know what they do? They run farther from the light. Is that not what happens? 
And so in Romans 1.32, we find the end of a God-forsaking country who knowing the judgment of God, are they aware of God's anger and of God's wrath and of the payment for sin? They, these people, they know the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. We all know that. We would all say we know and are aware of the judgment of God. Yet look where man's at. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I know this isn't the right thing. I know God says I'm going to be judged, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to teach my family to do it, and I'm going to have pleasure and be happy because others are doing this. Is that not blindness? And so there is man. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says this to the Pharisees, You're of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. So the devil now. The devil are these people's father? It's what the Bible says. And do you know why they're doing the will of the devil? Because the devil is their father. And Jesus is there telling them the truth. And they don't believe him. Why don't they believe him? Because the devil is their father. And you know the de- with the devil now, it's impossible for him to tell the truth. The truth is not in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. That's all he's got are lies. A deceiver, a murderer, the wicked one. And people are under his power and influence. So do you see here in John chapter 3, do you see how these tie together? Men love darkness. Why do men love darkness? Because they're of their father, the devil. Because the devil's in control. And when Jesus speaks to them, they don't believe Him. Because they're children of the liar, the devil. John chapter 10, one more place. Verse 26, But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what's going to have to happen in order for one of these children of the devil... We were all children of the devil, weren't we? I mean, in Ephesians chapter 2, I believe that's pretty clear. You who were dead in trespasses and sins, we were under the power of the prince of the power of the air. We were following along in our lusts and the wickedness. We were just like this crowd. We hated the light and we loved darkness because we were evil. we done the lusts of our father, the devil. What's got to happen in order for one of these children of the devil to come out of darkness and into the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to set 
and wait on man to do it himself, you're going to set till you wither to dust. Man will not do it himself. You know what has to happen? A new birth has to take place. Is that not what this entire discourse of the Lord Jesus is about? We're talking about a new birth. And Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a work of God in the heart because without it, you're not going to believe in me. So Jesus says, and this is John chapter 10. I realize we'll get there in the future. I'd recommend reading that chapter. Listen to these words one more time. Ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. Jesus says Himself now, the reason you're not believing what I'm saying is because you're not a part of my flock. They're of their father the devil, aren't they? They love darkness rather than light. But there's another crowd in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. What's the difference between the two groups of sheep? A new birth. A work of God in the heart. And so verse 20, Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That word means confuted or admonished. You might say corrected. I don't think there's anything that anybody hates anymore than somebody in authority over them correcting what they're doing wrong. You want to make a man mad or you want to see somebody get upset, a man or a woman, let somebody in authority correct their wrong and they'll be upset about that. That's the nature of man. Isn't that something? And so here... Here's the gospel. The gospel is correcting the wrong that's in man's life. And really the gospel is pointing to the brazen serpent, the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. And yet, men hate the light. So that his deeds aren't corrected. So in... Proverbs 1.29, For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So you see, people are, people would, they would throw up in my face that you teach a God that's not fair. You're teaching a God that is forcing men to go to hell. That's that's a a major accusation. But you see what's happening? Go preach the gospel to the world. You know what's going to happen? They're going to hate you for it. Preach on CNN tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. And when you're done, they'll gut you in front of a national audience and you'll be talked about and they'll try to get you fired from your job. And they'll try to ruin your life and they'll try to find your address so they can have people at your house in the morning so that they can raise Cain and probably burn you out. The truth. 
You know what's wrong? Man is choosing evil. That's all that man will choose when left to his own devices. Why are man dying lost? Because they've not believed in Jesus. And they've made a willful, intended choice not to believe. And the only folks that are going to make a willful, intended choice to believe are those that have been born from above. Born again. And so in Ephesians 5 verse 12, For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now he's talking about the wicked world. But just for a moment, before we pretend that we're righteous and above everybody else, what goes on in secret? Mm. We've got no cause to think highly of ourselves. But these things that are done in secret, we'd like to keep them hidden. And the light, all things that are approved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. The light is revealing. That's why man hates the light. The light reveals what's already present. I've said this many times. If my house is filthy or my house is spotless, when we go in there tonight, when I turn the light on, the light does not change anything about it. All it's going to do is manifest what's already in there. And so the light of the gospel, it's manifesting what's in me. It's not making me condemned. I'm already condemned. It's not bringing judgment. I'm already judged. And if the gospel had never been preached in my ears, I would still be condemned. Because the heavens declare the glory of His handiwork. People don't like that either. Well, people ain't heard the gospel. Yeah, but people are sinners. If God's going to let one sinner buy, then He's going to have to let them all buy. There's enough glory in the creation that man is guilty of God and of his sin. And so here, in verse 21, so we've got, Everyone that doeth evil hateth light, neither cometh to. Now 21, here's people that believe. I'm going to read it again and I want you to notice how it's worded. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest. you got a comma there. That they are wrought in God. So you've got a crowd and I, it's safe to say the vast majority, they hate the light, they won't come to the light because they're evil and don't want their evil deeds to be manifested. We'd rather keep that covered and hidden. And then we've got another group that does the truth. And they come to the truth. But what are they doing when they come to the truth? They are manifesting to render apparent that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So I, I believe you could say, you could say here, we'll see those that come to the truth, 
They're doing a work in God. I, I can see where that interpretation would come from. But I, I believe, and if, if you'll get her down and look at the words here, I believe you'll see it as well, that those that come to the truth, they're coming to the truth manifests that God has wrought a work in them. Their obedience to the faith is manifesting that God has, you, you can say convicted, you can say drew, you can say regenerated. John says born again. You say it however you want to. But when somebody comes to the truth, do you know what that's evidence of? That God's done a work in them. Because they would not have come to the truth otherwise. They are manifesting by their obedience that God in them has done a work. In Psalm, it's an amazing thing. Psalm 139. I wrote this down last week. So, Verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Does that sound like the world that hates the light? What has happened here? Here's a man that's saying, God, lay me open, search me out, and reveal to me the wickedness that I can be more like thee. Here's a man that's coming to the light when the rest of the world around him is hating the light. What happened? I tell you, David's testimony there is manifesting a work of God in his heart. So the rejection of the light, you know what that manifests? They belong to the devil. They're not of the sheep of the Lord. But those that come to the light, they're manifesting the work of God in the heart. So in Isaiah 26, 12, listen, listen to these words. Lord, Thou wilt ordain peace for us, for Thou also hast wrought all our works in us. So God has done a work in them that has resulted in what you see in their outward life. I, I, that's what he's saying in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. God has done a work in us, and our life, the change of life and direction, and our newfound love of the truth, manifests that God's done a work in us. But those that had rather stay in darkness and stay hidden, they're manifesting the work of the devil that's in them. I don't, I don't believe that's controversial. Anymore though, everything you say is controversial. In Galatians 5 verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. I know Greg went over this just a little while back. But the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit singular. So these works here that are listed, 
They are all the product, not fruits, but the fruit, the produce, the product of the Spirit that's inside of a man's heart. It's not the product of me trying hard. It's not the product of a three-week revival. Man thinks today we'll have a three-week revival and we'll really do good. Revival doesn't produce this. Revival can't make a man come out of the darkness. Now I'm not against revival. Revival's very beneficial to come together and hear the gospel. You know one reason I believe the early church was so strong? They met every day. They heard the gospel every day. Peter didn't have time to go visit the sick because he was ministering the Word of God day by day. There's a great benefit to hearing the Word of God. But to say that revival is going to produce this is incorrect. But what does? It's the Holy Spirit in a man's heart. And when the Spirit is within a man's heart, He will produce these works. It's not me and the Spirit working together. We're going to produce this. God is producing this in those that are saved. Hebrews 13.21 Make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what's happening here? It's the same thing. Everywhere you look, it's the same thing. God's working in me, and a result from God working in me is my life is different now. (coughs) So that's the way it is today after salvation, maybe even years after salvation, lives are still different because of the work of God that's in the heart. But you take her all the way back to the beginning of our salvation. You know why you came to the gospel? I promise you this, you weren't a step above everybody around you. You weren't the spiritual valedictorian of your age group. You weren't more righteous than anybody else in the county or state or country that you lived in. You came to the gospel for one reason and one reason only. The work of God was done in your heart that brought you out of darkness and into the light of the Son of God. And when you came, you bore witness, you testified, you manifested that God had changed your mind. You manifested that the works that were in you were wrought in God. When God does a work, it'll be right, perfect, and good. So, let's review this just for a second. That's the, the finish of this discourse. So, you must be born again. It's necessary to see or to enter the kingdom. The work of the new birth is of the Spirit and the Word alone. It's not a work of the flesh. That's in verse 6 through 8. Verses 11 and 13, Jesus is the qualified witness to speak on this. Pastor so-and-so, he can't overrule the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We must come to the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Verse 12, growth is required to hear. A baby's not going to eat everything on the menu at the Texas Roadhouse. But when he grows, he can eat more and more and more. Growth is required to come to the understanding and the depths of the knowledge of the Scripture. If we could be established on one thing, we could grow to another. When you get your ABCs, then you can get the sounds. When you get the sounds of the word letters, then you can start putting together little short words. You know, that's the way we read. Line upon line, precept upon precept, and we grow and we grow and we grow. And so that's the way it is in spiritual matters. We get established on one thing and we can grow to the next. And so 15 and 16, God loved the world and sent Jesus that everyone that would believe in Him should not perish. Verse 17, Jesus did not bring any condemnation. Man was already condemned and in darkness. 18, the unbelievers are already condemned. Not waiting for a judgment down the road. If it was now, if it was up to me, and I choose the Lord, and I make my decision for Christ, then how could I be condemned until I died? Does that make sense? Because there's still opportunity for me to make my decision if I'm alive. See, I'm not condemned by whether I decide or choose or not. I'm condemned by my sin. They're condemned already. And so 19 and 20, their evil deeds and their love of darkness is what takes man away from the gospel. Is this just a handful of people on the face of the earth that love darkness and run from the truth? Is that just a little handful of people? That's everybody. That's all the world. Except for one crowd. You know, there's one people that's not like the rest of the world. You know who they are? Verse 21 those that God has done a work in. He says in Corinthians, who maketh thee to differ? And if you've received what you've got, if God gave you what you have, how can you glory in it? Because it's not yours and you didn't earn it. See, that's, that's what the church has. And we're out of time. We'll stop right there and uh, pick up verse 22 next time. Anybody, anything on your heart you'd like to say?